Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, we'll be looking at a line from Shakespeare that was emblazoned on a t-shirt I once wore. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. Even though I was then a graduate student in English, I didn't know the play it comes from, Henry VI Part Two. Had I known it, or had I just been more mature, I probably wouldn't have worn it. Whatever sardonic thing I meant by wearing it, it is actually a call to mob violence that quickly extends to anyone with an education. Henry VI, Part Two is the second play of a tetralogy that presents the troubled reign of the son of Henry V. Henry VI succeeded to the throne upon the death of his father in the year 1422. He was just nine months old. As a result, England was ruled by a regency council until Henry came of age on his 16th birthday. During the 15 years of the regency, factions and rivalries for power became widespread, and the young king, perhaps mentally defective, was unable to bring any effective order to bear after assuming the throne. Henry VI Part Two presents the turmoil and maneuvering for power that leads at the end of the play to the outbreak of civil war between the ruling House of Lancaster and the rival House of York. Act Four, from which today's scene is taken, focuses on a popular rebellion that preceded the full outbreak of war. This popular rebellion became known as Jack Cade's Rebellion after its leader. We'll join the play at the first entrance of Cade and his followers. Shakespeare's stage direction specifies infinite numbers, that is, a mob as large as the stage can hold. Cade's followers come from the working classes, including tradesmen and shopkeepers as well as laborers. In addition to Cade, three others are identified by their names and or trade, a sawyer, Smith the weaver, and Dick the butcher. Dick the butcher may remind some of you of Bill the butcher from Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York, which isn't far from the mark as the scene about to unfold is as vicious and violent as anything in Scorsese's movies. From the first word he speaks, Cade takes on the airs of one quite above a tradesman, though he himself works as a cloth cutter. He refers to himself by the royal we, and then tells of his lineage as a Mortimer, that is, as a member of a branch of the royal family that gives him a claim to the crown. It's not clear whether he believes this himself, but the mob certainly does. Dick the butcher and Smith the weaver, though, do not. And as Cade speaks, they joke with each other about his pretensions, punning on his name Cade, which is also a name for a barrel, and on Mortimer, which they changed to mortarer, that is, a tradesman of a lowly sort. They joke as well about Cade's claims about his wife's lineage, making an obscene joke suggesting she's been a prostitute. 
Nevertheless, after Cade has made comically outlandish promises about what his followers will have when he is king, Dick the Butcher and Smith the Weaver egg the mob on toward violence. Dick the Butcher shouts from the crowd the line with which I began this episode, appealing to the resentments of those who've been the victims of lawyers, including Cade himself, who speaks of having signed papers that were the ruin of him. Written documents and the literacy that goes with them are suspect to the mob. Smith the Weaver then brings before Cade a town clerk who's been found with books in his possession that teach children reading. Cade asks him, does he sign his name or does he make a mark, an X, like an honest man? When the clerk says that he can sign his name, he is taken off stage to be hung. At that point, I'll stop my reading, but the scene continues, becoming more and more violent and more and more grotesque, until finally two heads held aloft on pikes are made to kiss while the mob cheers. A scene that began with satirical humor thus ends in obscene brutishness but I'll stop before the worst. Let's begin. Drum. Enter Cade, Dick the Butcher, Smith the Weaver, and the Sawyer, with infinite numbers, all with staves. Cade. We, John Cade, so termed of our supposed father, Dick the Butcher, aside to Smith, or rather of stealing a Cade of herrings, Cade. For our enemies shall fall before us, inspired with the spirit of putting down kings and princes. Command silence. Dick the Butcher. Silence. Cade. My father was a Mortimer. Dick the Butcher aside to Smith. He was an honest man and a good bricklayer. Cade. My mother a Plantagenet. Dick the Butcher aside to Smith. I knew her well. She was a midwife. Cade, my wife descended of the Lacys. Dick the Butcher, aside to Smith. She was indeed a peddler's daughter and sold many laces. Smith the Weaver, aside to Dick. But now, of late, not able to travel with her furred pack, she washes bucks here at home. Cade, therefore am I of an honorable house. Dick the Butcher, aside to Smith. I, by my faith, the field is honorable, and there he was born under a hedge, for his father had never a house but the jail. Cade. Valiant I am. Smith the Weaver, aside to Dick. He must needs, for beggary is valiant. Cade. I am able to endure much. Dick the Butcher, aside to Smith. No question of that, for I have seen him whipped three market days together. Cade, I fear neither sword nor fire. Smith the weaver aside to Dick. He need not fear the sword, for his coat is of proof. Dick the butcher aside to Smith. But methinks he should stand in fear of fire, being burnt in the hand for stealing of sheep. Cade. 
Be brave, then, for your captain is brave and vows reformation. There shall be in England seven halfpenny loaves sold for a penny. The three-hooped pot shall have ten hoops, and I will make it felony to drink small beer. All the realm shall be in common, and in Cheapside shall my palfrey go to grass. And when I am king, as king I will be, all God save your majesty. Cade, I thank you, good people. There shall be no money. All shall eat and drink on my score, and I will apparel you all in one livery, that you may agree like brothers and worship me, your lord. Dick the Butcher, shouting from the crowd. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. Cade, nay, that I mean to do. Is not this a lamentable thing, that the skin of an innocent lamb should be made parchment, that parchment, being scribbled o'er, should undo a man? Some say the bee stings, but I say tis the beeswax, for I did but seal once to a thing, and I was never my own man since. Enter a clerk of Chartum under guard. Cade. How now, who's there? Smith the weaver. The clerk of Chartum. He can write and read and cast account. Cade, oh, monstrous. Smith the weaver, we took him setting of boys' copies. Cade, here's a villain. Smith the weaver, has a book in his pocket with red letters in it. Cade, nay, then, he's a conjurer. Dick the butcher, nay, he can make obligations and write court hand. Cade, I am sorry for it. The man is a proper man of mine honor. Unless I find him guilty, he shall not die. Come hither, sirrah. I must examine thee. What is thy name? Clerk. Emmanuel. Dick the Butcher. They used to write it on top of letters. Twill go hard with you. Cade. Dost thou used to write thy name? Or hast thou a mark to thyself like an honest plain-dealing man. Clerk, Sir, I thank God I have been so well brought up that I can write my name. All, he hath confessed, away with him, he's a villain and a traitor. Cade, away with him, I say, hang him with his pen and inkhorn about his neck. One exits with the clerk. Historians point out that in writing this scene, Shakespeare drew on accounts of two different popular revolts, Jack Cade's Rebellion and also the Peasants' Revolt of 1381, some 70 years earlier. But we don't go to Shakespeare's history plays to learn English history, but to observe how power works in human society, whether medieval England, Shakespeare's own early modern England, or in our own day. The forms of government change, but the essential nature of politics does not. Alliances, maneuvering, manipulations, deceptions, these manifest themselves wherever there is both power and ambition. Whether or not Henry VI Part II is true to Jack Cade's rebellion, we recognize it is true to the world. Everyone in the play, 
whether duke or lord or earl or queen or bishop or rebel leader, is a politician. Well, not quite everyone. The town clerk isn't a politician, but merely someone who wishes to be useful to society. The members of the mob are probably not politicians, though Dick the Butcher and William the Smith certainly are. The mob rather is manipulated by politicians who whip up their perhaps legitimate grievances and resentments into fanaticism. When Cade tells his followers that his horse will graze in Cheapside, he is appealing to their resentments, as Cheapside is the financial center of London and thus of England, much as Wall Street is in the U.S. When he orders that the poor village clerk be hung with his pen and inkhorn around his neck, he is appealing to the resentment of the mob against those whom it feels look down on them and control them. Even the absurd promises Cade makes. A three-hooped pot, that is, a quart pot, will become a ten-hooped pot, though there isn't such a thing. Appeal not just to a legitimate desire for plenty, but resentment of those the mob believes already enjoy the plenty they don't have. So what can we learn from reading Shakespeare's history plays? For one thing, we can learn to see more clearly the social world all around us, from the places we work to the highest corridors of power and everything in between. Whether this makes us cynical or wise, depends on the rest of our education. We also can learn to be good politicians ourselves. This doesn't mean following the example of Jack Cade. After all, he winds up dead in a garden where he has crept in search of food while on the run following the collapse of his rebellion. But there are other politicians in the play we can learn from, including Richard, Duke of York, will eventually topple the king. In the play, though perhaps not in history, York behind the scenes put Cade up to his rebellion to create a situation where he can sweep to power after Cade's rebellion fails. Perhaps we can learn to be a good politician from him. We then must ask what it means to be a good politician. York is the most successful of all the politicians of the play, but he isn't good in any moral sense. Actually, the least able politician in the play is the king himself, but he may have been the most moral. He wants peace with France, and thus an end to the war his father started, and he winds up dead in the Tower of London. Perhaps to be a good politician one must combine the two meanings of good, skillful, and benevolent. We can read Shakespeare's history plays to think about and talk about whether this combination is actually possible. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.